Section two of By the Marshes of Minus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. By the Marshes of Minus by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. The Ramparts of Port Royal. Part two. De Meneval was silent for some moments, pondering. Whether he was angered or not by my reply, I could not guess. His features wore a mask of courteous gravity. "'I must reluctantly acknowledge that you are in the right in this,' he replied, "'and that I cannot take amiss your refusal. But this at least I can ask. This at least I can put upon your friendship, which you see I make so bold as to claim for myself.' that when you return to Sir William Phipps, with my rejection of his demands, you refrain from uncovering to him the helplessness of our condition, for we are helpless, as you say. You see, I trust you. Let me tell you this further. Immediately on your arrival at the pier, I sent agents of my own to your commander, offering to give up the fort on terms not inconsistent with my own honor, and the importance of this post all that this will mean to me and mine i need not remind you if now you should desire to do me a great service the occasion will without doubt expose itself to you very clearly whilst he spoke i was in an anguish that i should hold my tongue a little it seemed not much to ask of me yet how much it might mean to him and to diane I was shaken, moreover, by the man's kindness, by his unexpected favouring of my hopes. Let me confess it, too, I was flattered by all his speech and bearing. This was no common man who sought my aid, but one whose power and quality would command reverence in any company. To say him yea, to do him this great and lasting service, to so prove my fidelity to Dion's interests, to win admittance free and favoured to her adored companionship why not why not implored the eager heart within me but with a rush of heat and shame that set my face a-prickling to the ears i remembered that twas a sheer treason that he asked of me and at that my manhood came back in some measure i affected not to see his drift alas sir said i in a pained voice and looking upon the floor i have no interest with the commander at all that he should put my private petition before the public advantage you mistake me captain waldo he exclaimed with a faint sharpness of irritation in his tones i will rest much indebted to you believe me if your commander is allowed to think as he doubtless thinks by now that port royal is in a position for defence that is the whole matter at that i raised my eyes and met his with a sorrowful firmness your excellency said i there is no one who knows better than you how a man shall keep his honour stainless this that you ask of me if i were to say yea to it would you hold my honour stainless could i but you know well what it is you ask I will give up all but honour to serve Mademoiselle de Meneval. If I would give up that for her, then were I utterly unworthy to serve her at all. De Meneval turned with a stern gesture of dismissal. 
"'Be assured,' said he, "'that the man who stands in my path this day "'and uncovers my weakness to my enemy "'will be for ever after accounted the enemy of my house.' "'At least, sir,' I answered, "'he will not be accounted a traitor. "'I beg you to tell Mademoiselle de Meneval that.' "'And somewhat blindly I made for the door.' Now it chanced that there were many red curtains, all of a like fashion, covering the wall of that room. But one curtain was lifted aside, revealing a door. Down the dim passage I blundered, in a fever of pain and wrath and fierce hopelessness. I came, as was natural, to another door. I flung it open and strode through, to find myself not in the sunlit square of the fort, but in a dim chamber, richly hung and furnished. I had but time to note that it had the air of a lady's withdrawing-room, when the door shut behind me with a click. I sprung and wrenched at it furiously, but the lock had caught. Was it treachery or an accident? I looked at the window. It was small, high up in the wall, and heavily barred. I caught the glint and shimmering of spring's young leafage against it, and wondered what could be its outlook, for I had seen no tree in the fortyard. Perceiving that there was no escape for me by the window, I turned in a sort of desperation to seek some weapon wherewith to batter at the door. I turned and found myself face to face with Dion de Meneval. I was dumb with amazement, with doubt, with impotent wrath at my position, with a consuming hunger of love at the sight of her. Questioning and a sorrowful reproach were in her pale, proud face, and for the moment I could answer neither. I stood and gazed upon her, and my utter worship must have burned clearly in my eyes, for her lips softened to a faint smile. "'Do you come as a friend or as an enemy?' she asked. How could I answer her? I threw myself down at her feet, and pressed my face into the silken folds of her gown. "'Tienne!' I cried in a broken voice, I love you. You are more to me than life, than... Set, my dear friend, quoth she softly, speaking in English which I had taught her, and tripping adorably on the last letter of my name, of which her tongue could never win the mastery. Will you not shelter us now against your harsh and grasping general? He knows not the courtesies due to a de Meneval and his heart is as rough as his own granite hills. It seemed more than my heart could endure to say no to this, but gathering all my resolution I forced myself to continue, as if she had not interrupted me. My voice was so shaken that I scarce formed the words articulately. More than my life, I went on, more than my own soul, beyond measure, more than all else but honour. I heard your conversation with my uncle, said she slowly. Never will he forgive you or forget to curse you if you lift a hand to balk him in this manner. And I, set, I am a soldier's daughter. I have learned the lesson of obedience. I will obey my uncle. I arose and stood before her and looked into her grave eyes. There was all my world and I was throwing it away for this phantom, this bubble that a breath might shatter, this thing called honor. My heart was like lead, but I spoke steadily. 
Then, said I, this is my farewell to hope, to all that might have made this life a paradise. My love for you, Diane, is of such a quality that never will I dishonor you with the love of a traitor. The lips, dear, which have touched yours will not betray a trust. You may hate me forever, but you shall not blush to have once loved me. Give me the key, for I now perceived for the first time that she was holding a key in her hand. Give me the key, I implore you, and let me go quickly. At this, as once before in her uncle's glance, I caught in her eyes a look which I could not understand. But it was gone on the instant. No, said she replied very gently, I will not give you the key. As I realized what this meant, I could not refrain from a cry at the new torment thrust upon me. No, no, you do not mean it, Diane. I pleaded. Give me the key, I adjure you. Be merciful. And in the passion of my entreaty, I pressed closer to her side. I will not, she answered, with something of arrogant firmness in her voice and, lightly avoiding me, she drew aside nearer to the window. Then, said I, I have no choice, Diane. I am only a soldier on duty. I must take the key. At that she turned upon me, her great eyes all ablaze with indignation. What? she exclaimed. You would dare? Then something in my look seemed to convince her that I meant what I said, and her face changed on the instant. She looked this way and that, and made as if to thrust the key into her bosom, in which sanctuary it must have been safe indeed, and I darted forward to prevent her. But ere I could grasp her arm, she had changed her purpose, and with a swift, vehement gesture, she hurled the key through the high window. There, she cried, facing me with a defiance that hung on the verge of tears, you shall not bring down upon your head my uncle's curse. And, and, she added softly, with the little catching of her breath, which I knew and loved so well, neither need you do any dishonor to my love, Set. She came a step nearer to me, and held out both white hands. The blood surged back upon my heart so suddenly, that for an instant I was dizzied, and as I took her hands I steadied myself by them. It was ever so little, but she understood by it more than a whole book of words could have made plain. She laughed with a kind and tender merriment, and made as if to hold me up, me who overtopped her queenly head by a good seven inches. I thought no more of the price which my general might have to pay for possession of the ramparts of Port Royal. I cared no whit whether I had been tricked or not, but rather, if I had, thanked God for it. I felt myself absolved from all the burden of the affair. I was Diane's prisoner, and no act of mine could set me free. I think I may even say, without vanity, that in praising my lady's wit and resource, which had so delivered me unstained from an intolerable situation— my passion and my gratitude enabled me to achieve some small measure of eloquence. The time in that dim chamber sped by, with no great count of it taken, till, on a sudden, an hour perhaps or two, having elapsed, there came a shrill whistle under the window. 
Diane sprang up and thrust her hand into a niche above the fireplace. Turning to me with eyes of dancing mischief, she held out a key. There are two keys to yon door, she laughed. This one was within your reach all the time. You are free now, Set. Port Royal has surrendered upon very honorable terms. But I refused to rise. I am no longer in haste, then, dear heart, said I. But you, as a punishment for having dealt so high-handedly with the sacred person of a herald, are now under the necessity of bearing witness for me before Sir William. I will tell him, quoth she with a sweet petulance, that you value honor before my love. And if he be a true lover, or ever have been, I swear he will not believe the monstrous tale. End of section two. Ramparts of Port Royal, part two.